Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and today the Super Bowl Shuffle interview series continues with a big get, Dave Damashek. Odds are, if you're hearing this conversation, oh, Dave, you've got a beverage there. What? what it's water? only water. Yeah, I, I should have thought about it. I needed some uh, some beer. Dang. It's, it's all, all right. Good. Let's I, press forward. I, I do have a, a general rule. I, I try to only... Uh, I guess, imbibe on school nights. And there are some exceptions here or there. I guess this occasion would warrant it, but I've got some water on mind as well. The good news is a uh, little more than hops added to the water, and, and we've got some good beer on deck maybe for the weekend. It's not too far away at this stage. But want to let the audience know, odds are you're already well aware of Dave and his work, but if you haven't already been listening to the Minus 3 and Extra Points podcasts, very good names, by the way, Dave. That's where you can catch a lot of what he's up to these days. Uh, too much to name beyond that going into Dave's resume. I will just call out one thing. Dave was my partner in crime almost exactly a year ago today, Conference Championship Sunday. We got to collaborate on a really fun in-game live project. It was a second screen broadcast from a betting point of view. Dave, I'm honored to reunite. It's fun turning the tables this time with me holding down the hosting duties. And at long last, I'm excited to welcome you to Props and Hops. What a pleasure, old pal. And, uh, you know, it is funny. You say almost the same, and the title games were almost the same. Three out of the four. Uh, what's old is new again. The only the difference, I guess, was Jimmy G, right? Well, he wasn't under center. If only he'd been available, I think that I might have had a real shot at being correct because I said, like, six, eight weeks ago, the Niners have a shot to get to the Super Bowl, but they got to get back to Jimmy G. Wouldn't that have been something if they would have put him into the game if he were standing off on the sidelines holding a clipboard in uniform and they threw him in there and he rallied them to a Super Bowl? I don't know what all the analysis of um, of QB pedigree and where they get drafted and everything else, what it would do to that if Jimmy G were a starting quarterback in what? Three out of the, or almost three out of the last four Super Bowls. You know, he, he almost got there a year ago, were it not for Stafford and company. Yeah, we probably would have had quite a different experience on a conference championship Sunday had Jimmy G been available. And then, yeah, all-timer of a call on your part, a near miss with that Jimmy G in the Super Bowl for the Niners. I bet they really wish they had his services. But Dave, thinking back, not just a conference championship Sunday, but to the season as a whole, part of this conversation, not just looking ahead to the Super Bowl, which we will do in fairly short order here, but thinking about the season that was, I know that you have been around the block a time or two when it comes to the NFL, among many other sports. That said, I feel like this was just such a weird season across the league. If I'm to ask you to narrow it down to one or two of the biggest lessons you've learned this season, what would you say are some of those top takeaways? Well, I think just in raw football terms, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was a bizarro season. I mean, Geno Smith was better than Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So you could start there. I mean, who, nobody on the planet Earth or beyond could have forecasted that. So, you know, the unpredictability of the NFL versus the other three major sports, relatively speaking, you know, is what makes it fun and also vexing from a gambling standpoint. And I'll go all the way back. It's kind of, I guess, Jimmy G is an interesting uh, place because when you're making the season long prop bets on individual players numbers, you uh, cousin Sal, the aforementioned one said this in the off season and he's a hundred percent right. You can make a lot of loot. Now, listen, 
if you just bet the unders on all those guys, especially the running backs. If you bet the unders on running backs, their season totals, you're going to come out ahead of the game when it's all said and done. Now, there is a moral kind of conundrum there of you're betting on injury and and, and otherwise. Um, it's sort of like walking up to the dice table and everybody's gathered around and you bet uh, don't pass. But if you bent don't pass the whole time you're there at that table, you're probably going to come out on top. So if you don't have any moral qualms with it, I say follow Cousin Sal's advice. And, uh, and and on those season totals, as soon as they come out, bet the unders, bet the top 20 unders, and you will come out um, with a little bit of green in your wallet. And maybe, you know, you'll, you'll also consider yourself a jerk, but it'll be offset by the money you make. Nothing wrong with being a bit of a mercenary from time to time when growing that bankroll is a primary objective. And Dave, to that end, you touch on this being quite the vexing season at times. What would you say is your most tilting moment from the season from a gambling standpoint? I mean, listen, I'm not trying to, to be glib, but every loss is painful. There's, they're the embarrassing ones, you know, when you feel strongly about um, a team on the money line and they get whipped by four touchdowns. That's bad. That hurts your feelings. That's, a, that's an embarrassment. Um, on the other hand, you know, the the backdoor score that uh, that pushes the total for you um, is is also vexing by its own right. It's kind of like that thing when I'm, I'm older than you before the Cubs and Red Sox got over the great philosophical debate for a baseball fan is which team would you rather be rooting for the Red Sox who break your heart in October at, or the Cubs who, you know, by late June. It's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty standard stuff. Like, yeah, we're obviously not going to make the postseason this year again, and you can just get drunk out in the bleachers. So I'll say I'm a little bit of a Cubs slash Red Sox late 20th century fan, if you know what I'm laying down there. They all hurt. Um, I think that uh, the the Chiefs were really wild. I mean, it, it, the mo- recency bias, how about this? I, by the time the games kicked off on Sunday was more confident that the Eagles were going to take care of business than I was the Bengals in Arrowhead. But nevertheless, I do believe in a trend that, again, I ride with my gut. So you're, you're a smart fella. You, you work off the numbers and statistics and, uh, and trends. That's like cousin Sal and smart people do, but I, but I'm not this way. You see, I, I, I just, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, what, what the gut tells me to do is, is how I want to ride. And um, I, it, it's funny to me that the Chiefs were so consistently incapable of covering at home, but winning consistently at home. It was a fascinating trend to follow pretty much through the whole year. And I thought the Bengals, I mean, with the, with the number as, uh, as slight as it was, I really did think Burrow and company were going to get it because – Speaking of riding with my opinion, with the opinion of my gut and my heart, instead of actually looking it up and researching whether I'm right, my sense is that certain teams going head to head with other teams, that those mini era trends that you see should not be ignored, which is to say the Chargers always play the Chiefs tough in Arrowhead. As an example, the Saints always play the Bucks tough. Um, even when Tom Brady was on their center there. You should not ignore the fact that the results have been the results pretty consistently 
Um, you know, the, the Browns have a habit of trucking certain teams. So pay attention to the last two to three years worth of action. This is, this is my counsel. Do with it what you want, man. I, I'll, I'll defer to you on it. But I do think that those things, that there is something to that. And if you abide by the trend that this one team, for whatever reason, whatever voodoo's going on, this team has that team's number and it will pretty consistently pay off for you. Yeah, and aside from the energy you bring to the table, which is always unmistakable listening to, watching a lot of what you do, I like that perspective and especially bringing it to this show because I do tend to skew more toward the numbers-based analytical side of things. And there's plenty of ways in which that served me well over the years. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you're supposed to do. I'm not saying just throw away money, just, uh, you know, just rip it up and flush it down the drain. It's, it's, it's a little more informed than that, but philosophically it really comes down to bets. I like, I don't, I mean, like in my heart, like I would never as a, for instance, bet a bet, against my team many of my pals do it and i try to shame them they don't care but i think you should not bet against your team i'm against it so be it if that makes me a child all right then maybe i should just skip the part where i tell that the first offshore betting account i ever opened up i bet against my alma mater usc and the arizona wildcats covered the spread in that one and i was off and running so i think being a fan it's a good way to use your knowledge of a team if you can be objective enough to know when to go ahead and bet on them and also when to bet against them. And I understand if somebody never wants to bet against their team, I also understand that for some bettors, there is a bit of an emotional hedge where if you bet against them, then, hey, if they win, you're happy. If they lose, you win your bet. You've got something to be happy about. But I think all this psychological dynamic that comes into it, I don't get enough of your perspective on this show. And I love so many of the guests that I've brought on. I'm always so fortunate to get people's time when they have something valuable to offer. But I think there's something to be said for that. They call it, you know, the human element, whatever you will, not everything can be figured out on a spreadsheet or via a model. And I think that just about anybody would agree with that, but it can be really tough to quantify. And I think that the answer is not to try to quantify everything perfectly, but to your point about as a Chargers fan, I know that as much as they tend not to win against the Chiefs, they tend to give them a good game, no matter what kind of form both teams appear to be in heading into their head-to-head matchups. But there, there's something to it where, okay, maybe I don't know exactly what it means, but because of the recent history, there is a greater than zero chance that it means something, even if I can't put my finger on it. Well, that's, yeah, you know, I, I would, I would back down. I would, uh, you know, I'd hide my head in shame and not join you to, to pour over the season that was. And on the extra points network where we're, we all pick every one of the games every week and we do it earlier in the week because we have to get up who cares about the uh, inside baseball of why we have to lock our picks in middle of the week, but we, but we do to issue them for, for the audience. Um, so, you know, the numbers change a lot. My opinions change as those numbers swing a little bit as game time approaches. But I will say, um, I like to cherry pick. For me, the, the measure is not how can I do against the 16-game slate. Rather, what are my five or six favorite plays of the week? And in that regard, when I narrow it down like that, I was uh, I think I finished 24 over... 500. So that's not bad. I mean, if I were, you know, humiliating myself, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about what it is my method or lack thereof, but um, yeah. And I, and I do think 
that there is a weird thing about, but the teams that you spend the majority of your time watching on Sundays and then reading about and uh, are probably better informed about, there are a lot of people out there. Now the Sharps are to be taken seriously. I I think that's, uh, that's old news that forget about what the teams are saying. You don't have to worry about what the media is saying. Look at what, look at where the number is moving and that will be the indicator for what you're looking for as it moves up and down the, the sharps are the ones or, or, um, the, uh, the spread makers are the ones who know what's going on. So, so obviously follow their lead on all of that and watch as it moves, um, over the course of the week. But, you know, as far as that goes, I'll tell you what I did a lot of this year in college football, because I, I went to Indiana university, I'm a Pittsburgh, a guy, and I bet a lot of pit, overs i mean a lot of pit unders and a lot of indiana university overs and and i made a lot of money specifically by betting on those two things and it does kind of take the morality out of it it does kind of take the the fan base conundrum because of course it's a rationalization it's like yeah i'm hedging emotionally by by betting against my team no now you're not now you can't win now you're a loser on either way on, on either side of things i don't like it i don't like it but that's how I kind of work around it by by looking at my team's totals and looking at the trends there and, and betting on that. Pretty pretty consistently, the Indiana Hoosiers would give up uh, a ton of points in the first half, then rally big in the second half and come up just short, and the game would go um, 14 or points or, or more over the total pretty consistently over the course of the season. All right, I'm going to put a pin in that because if the market isn't quick to adjust next season, there might still be some opportunity to uh, pick up on that tidbit on the Indiana Hoosiers. But sticking with the NFL here, I understand that every loss hurts more or less equally in your book. And I know you don't like to bet against your teams. So I'm wondering if I'm to ask you, what would you consider your most fortunate win this season if it involves your Pittsburgh Steelers by any chance? Um, I was bullish on them taking down Brady and the Buccaneers. I don't know if you heard Tom Brady retired again. Um, but uh, if you hadn't, that's breaking news here on your show. Um, but uh, I, you know, the, there is something too. you know, it's not bulletproof or anything else. And, you know, sharps have their methods, but you know, if you know a team, I really think if you, if you know them deeply and not that, not, not uh, you know, pap that you hear on hot take radio shows, but if you really, invest the time and know that team, I think that's a good place to start. I don't bet against them, which is hampering for a team that is, uh, I'm not going to bet against that was as atrocious as they were early in the season. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I, there were several spots during the Steelers season. I'm trying to tick them off in my head here. Ones that I, I did forecast successfully that were against the trends a little bit. Christmas Eve um, by any chance beating the Ravens. I that one that to me is a stay away. I the, those games as you get down to the wire, those games that feel meaningless. I, in hindsight, I now realize that Tomlin really did have that locker room in a frame of mind that there was a chance they could get to the postseason. But going into that one, it was such a mess that I thought it was freezing and all that. And Franco uh, Harris had just passed away. I, I thought. Is either one of these teams motivated for anything aside from individual future contracts? They have to put good tape out there, but that leaves me uninspired as a better, as a reason to take one side or the other. So those mediocre against mediocre, I do not like um, throwing my money at because it it feels so variable to me. What what's going to happen on that given game? I you know I like the team. I like the notion of 
do these two pro football teams who are, you know, unless you are an abject uh, punchline of a team, you can kind of assess week to week as the season moves along, that team has to get this game and that team doesn't have to have it. And generally speaking, if you, if you apply the number to that game, I'm not talking the money line. If you just apply the number to that, I find and I'm sure you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I find those situations, maybe that sounds a little nuanced, who needs it? But if you if you look at that, that generally speaking, you'll come out on the right side if you take the team that you presume it needs to play desperate ball to stay relevant in the playoff picture. Yeah, I think that when it comes to trying to parse out who needs it more, a lot of it does come down to a point you made earlier. Follow the lead of the betting market because it's all about the price. There are... Often, and I feel like this is narrowing in terms of the window of opportunity from a betting standpoint, but there are oftentimes late in a season where if one team's knocked out of contention, another team's in must-win mode, even if you know one team needs it more than the other, if that's already priced in, then there might not be any betting value. In fact, there's often value going the other way, and I think the poster child for that this season was the last game of the regular season at Lambeau Field between the Packers and the Lions, and that game... All week long, the Packers were a bit of an inflated favorite because we knew there was the chance that the Lions would be knocked out before kickoff. And yet, even though the line was hovering around Packers minus four, when it probably should have been Packers minus three, minus three and a half, maybe all else equal. Again, Green Bay had a bit of a premium already. And then somehow, someway, the Seahawks get every call in the book. They go ahead and knock out the Rams and the line shoots up to six. And I'm thinking, okay, if this should be three, three and a half, Green Bay was already at a premium. Now we're getting two extra points. Taking that six, I knew the Lions were out. They didn't need the game as much. So sometimes it's an exercise in separating the mindset of the players on the field and what the market is telling us and where there might be betting value. And of course, when you've got Dan Campbell on your side, that also helps because if he had nothing to play for, you know, in some cases, people have argued that maybe he coached a better game and some of the decisions they made being ultra aggressive late really benefited the Lions. So there's, again, a lot of the psychological element that goes into this. And I love that you bring it up because one thing also to your point about mediocre on mediocre, I believe you used as a phrase earlier, a, a segment I like to weave into this show on an ad hoc basis would be the Malinsky minute as a nod to the late great sports betting legend, David Malinsky. He had a saying when I used to ask him about games for years, it was the Thursday night game, the Jags and the Titans when both teams were pathetic. Mm-hmm. And he would say, and, and they wore those horrible uniforms against each oh, other. That was oh, color yeah. rush. It was the mustard getups on the Jags yeah. with those two-tone awful helmets that they used to wear. I, I think as a defense mechanism, I had erased that from my memory. But but yeah, mm, the, the visuals, any way you slice it, weren't pretty on the field in those matchups. But Dave would even say, when you have mediocre on mediocre like that, the odds might be minus 110 on either side like they are for every other matchup. But that adds so much variance with bad teams going head to head. You might as well be laying minus 115 or minus 120. So there's a number attached to a point spread. But when you're betting, there's also a confidence level you need to associate with it. So I totally hear you on looking to steer clear of mediocre on mediocre. And fortunately, when we look ahead to the Super Bowl, that isn't the case. So Dave, I want to get into Chiefs Eagles with you in a moment here. But I'd be remiss not to touch on the fact that you are so accomplished when it comes to not just the, you know, sports content space in general, but within the betting content space and everything you're doing with the Extra Points Network. If we think about things that you've seen over the course of this last season or so, what are some of the highlights and lowlights, you know, just to try to put it better, anything you'd like to see more of in this space and anything perhaps that you'd like to see less of moving forward? I get that 
longtime um, gamblers feel infringed upon. It's a little bit like, um, you know, I was in Chicago in my early 20s. I spent there and, you know, they're great little uh, venues to go and see up and coming bands. And you see this band or that and there are 300 people there and you you feel like you know something that nobody else knows. Um and then two years later, they make it big, major label, and now they're 10,000 people in an arena to see them and everything, and you can become resentful of that. I think that's what people who have been enjoying sports by putting a little something extra on it for enjoyment's sake or beyond feel a little bit like, who are these bums, you know, with, the, with their $5, with their, you know, same game parlays and all that kind of stuff. And it skews more entertainment-based. I guess it's kind of, in a way a more a better and more direct analogy is the thing about the old guard of Vegas versus what Vegas has become and the you know roller coasters and a place to bring your kids and all that kind of stuff. I get that vibe of resentment there. Um obviously you me and a lot of people in sports media are thankful that it has um accelerated to the degree it, it, it does because you know there there are um places that will straight up practically fund what we do. So that, so that's a, a nice benefit of it. You know, what we do specifically at extra points, starting off with cousin Sal, who I'm sure people know um, from Fox sports and from Jimmy Kimmel live and, um, and, and so on, you know, it starts with him. He's a funny guy. And Kevin Hench is a, is a comedy writer. He joins me on minus three every week and on down the line. It's, it, really is forgive me for saying it if it's saccharine but you know it's about fun a lot of people there are many many places there are many outlets and they've existed for and i don't mean for five minutes they've existed for five decades places where you can go to get some some you know borderline sharp advice on what the right play is and what it isn't and you know i grew up in the day of like call this number now and i'll give you the play of the week and all of that and there's value in that and i'm not diminishing that but our angle is to try and have a little bit more fun with it and you know and and, and you know expand it um to a broader range of people and you know it's uh, another comparison somebody said to me that gambling going big is sort of like what you know you know marijuana use was 15 20 years ago like you know it was very you know in in hollywood or otherwise i'm in la and um you know it was like you know a celebrity would never publicly concede that a politician shame the devil that's the end of the campaign if that ever came out now that we're at a different place where there's that big green um cross you know at least one on every block you you travel in in california and it's expanded i feel like gambling is that now it's expanded to the people i get why some people are resentful of it but you know ultimately um you know it i i think to me i get the 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 issues that people have with it um but you know it, making it more fun and more accessible to people and a different avenue to enjoy sports with you know the in a lot of ways, it, it to me, the value of it is, even though I just said five minutes ago, I love the teams that I love and betting on them one way or, the, or never against them, but betting on them because I feel like I have some inside understanding of them having watched sports for the last, you know, 40 years or whatever. Um, and uh, but on the other hand, it just gives value to games that you otherwise don't care about. You know, I was big on the you on. Um, Tuesday night hosting Virginia Tech 
it was a ratty looking line there, three and a half for the Canes, but that's a ranked team who stumbled in Pittsburgh over the weekend against bum Virginia Tech. And I looked at that number three and a half and couldn't believe it. And I jumped on it and it paid off. Um, so that gave me interest in the game that I otherwise wouldn't have given a crap about. That's, you know, to me, it's as simple as that. And I get, uh, as I keep saying, the, the, the people who have, you know, who are, who are, who are putting uh, big dollars down and have been for 25 years and like, who are these frat dudes all betting on stuff? Ah, the more the merrier, I say. Yeah, I really appreciate the approach you take looking to make it more fun and accessible because you mentioned, you know, growing up in an era of like, call this 900 number and we'll give you the lock of the week or whatever phrasing was used. But oftentimes, well, sometimes there could be value on it and some people know what they're talking about. I would say that significantly more often than not, that's probably just a marketing ploy. And that can be really dangerous because if mm -hmm. somebody is under the illusion that they're going to somebody who's really sharp and it can be almost predatory and really irresponsible to encourage people to put their money where it's, you know, really little more than a coin flip and you're going to be paying the VIG on top of that. So I try on this show to apply a pretty tight filter and mostly bring on people who really sharpen my own process. And hopefully the same goes for the audience. And there aren't all that many people in the space who I think are, are sharp enough to beat a market as efficient as NFL full game point spreads in the long run. So while there are precious few people like that, I keep a pretty tight inner circle in terms of who I really trust and, and will consider following when it comes to placing down my money and making certain bets. And there's so much room beyond that to look past everybody else who's selling picks and, and maybe not really bringing value to the table, but just trying to market themselves as such and just discarding that altogether and saying, Hey, like sometimes we'll find some edges and, and there's something to be said for that. But also we're building a community and there's a certain entertainment value. I mean, nobody ever goes to, you know, see a good movie and then walks out of the theater and demands their money back or wants to make double the money they put down for their ticket because, you know, like when you want to bet you're going to get your risk amount back plus the reward. I feel like if there's a good entertainment baseline and everybody's honest about, you know, what the goal is and, and who everybody really is, as long as there's transparency, I think oftentimes now with the space exploding so much and so many people really getting into it for the first time, somebody who might not be sharp, but who is transparent probably brings more value to the table just for that honesty and any entertainment value on top of that is icing on the cake. That's right. Well, and also, yes, I, as I said, uh, you know, a little bit ago, my record is, you know, I, I, I have no, you know, obviously you're a sharper guy than I am. Um, but yeah, the sense of, of playing to some degree here and there or largely out of, uh, out of passion, but an informed passion, not like, uh, you know, I never liked that guy. So I'm betting against him forever kind of thing. You know, if you know, if, if you understand the game, that's a good starting point. You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't at this point bet very much on baseball because I'm not keeping my eye on the ball literally and figuratively very much. So I skew more towards hockey and, college and pro football these days because I am in fact watching those things all the time and maybe I'm deluding myself into thinking I understand what's going on from a gambling perspective except for the fact that year after year if I you know if I were hitting it a you know a 42 percent clip then I would modify what I do I I find that you know I it turns out over the course of a season 
that I'm doing just fine. And, and a lesson I have learned, what feels a little outmoded to me to some degree are all the pregame shows. Pointing a camera at an ex-player for his game pick is not something. I don't know if this is old news to you, and I, I know it's old news to you, but to anybody listening right now, I think people base their opinions to a weird degree on some sometimes on that guy who I re- remember, you know, he has a gold jacket. I remember him playing, and he says that team's going to win. Well, that's a good bet then. Those guys are not at all focused in first of all on what the on what the betting number is and they are wildly all over the place there is something to be said for knowing too much they talked to a guy who they were a teammate with who's in the locker room and he said he has this inside thing about what's going to happen there and that's very often inaccurate you can you can try to you can you can overcomplicate simple things and ultimately Vig and otherwise notwithstanding what we're talking about is coin flip. Are you calling heads or tails here? You don't need to, you, you can do that if you want and, um, you know, invest a ton of time in trends and otherwise. And I encourage people to listen to Matt and people like that who really know what they're talking about. But on the other hand, it doesn't have to be that it can be based out of pleasure and going into it. Yeah. You can have an understanding that, uh, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm making this play. Because I think that I know something about how good this team is and what they're, how they're going to have this team's number, even if the numbers don't ultimately firmly back you up. If it's a fun play, it's a fun play. And, you know, that's what it's about, isn't it, right? To have a fun four-hour stretch of your life or to juice up the already fun entertainment of a football game and, and, and juicing it up a little bit more and, and trying to make some money off of it. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said there for bankroll management as well, where if you want to bet something, and it is purely for fun, but you want to do it, if you're not risking anything you can't afford to lose, there's no harm in it, but maybe scale that down relative to something where if you do think you have an edge, and we all need to be careful, sometimes we can perceive our edges to be much bigger than they actually are, but if, if you really have an edge or a source that you trust, then maybe bet accordingly, and if you're betting for fun, okay, it's totally fine to scale that down. And sometimes I think people would be amazed if they're betting $5 or $500, just having any skin in the game at all. It's not a level of magnitude of 100x greater of a sweat that you get when you have, let's say, $500 relative to five. So plenty of fun in wagering responsibly, but also not needing to be you know, totally up to speed on every little detail of every little bet. Because at a certain point, if you follow that path, it's probably a recipe for paralysis by analysis. Yeah. And I'll tell you, talk about fun. What is a fun three, two and a half hour ish experience is, and I got into it, was it two, two seasons ago was the pleasure of betting on NHL regular season games. And some people scoff at it, but you know, it's typically um, a goal and a half uh, that you, that you can bet on. And a lot of games are going to come down to that. And you come down to a one goal lead and the one team's going to pull the goalie. So you really, if you're looking for entertainment dollars, instead of paying to see a movie, if you pay to to watch a game and and be in it till the end, if you bet a, uh, a hockey total and you take one side and you parlay that, that's a fun two and a half hour stretch that you you've put yourself in for. And, you know, sprinkle a little something on your favorite goal score. Those numbers are always juiced up no matter who you choose from Connor. Well, not Connor McDavid, but, but besides him, 
though I, I I think those turn a random Tuesday night game into something pleasurable for two and a half hours of your life. And that's what it is. It's not, it's not, we don't want to just survive in life. We want to live. And this is living to put something on Vancouver against San Jose, even though you don't give a crap about either one of those teams. And it's going to be a whole other magnitude of living when we look ahead to Super Sunday and not just two and a half hours, but maybe upwards of four hours of entertainment value from kickoff to the final whistle. So Dave, before we wrap up, also want to be sure to get your thoughts on the Super Bowl. Curious to hear if you have any thoughts on the side or total right now as we record. It looks like things are settling in. Eagles minus one and a half, total 50 and a half to 51, depending on the book. Uh, first and foremost, any thoughts on the point spread or total or the overall matchup as we look at Chiefs-Eagles on the horizon? I haven't looked at it in 24 hours, so it, the the total went up over 50, eh? It was 49 and a half when it opened, right? Yeah, yeah, we've seen some over money come in over the course of I this, liked uh, it. I li- well, that's, uh, I guess, not surprising because that was my first instinct that 49 and a half was to go over. Now I'm a little less sure there. I like the Eagles going into this one. Again, talk about overcomplicating simple matters. That Both teams were the number one seed. The Chiefs struggled in Arrowhead to, to cover. They kept winning, which was super weird. I mean, I guess they were laying eight and a half to, you know, 11 and a half a lot of the time. So it wasn't that difficult a needle to thread, but that was weird. The Eagles have been a juggernaut all season minus the end of the season when Jalen Hurts got hurt. And I think you can ride those trends um, that, uh, that the Eagles are – what what they have is transferable week to week. There are teams that can, the Patriots, obviously, they're uh, 20 years of weird dynast, dynastic or dynasty adjacent kind of stuff was marked by them being chameleon. They could play it any way you wanted to play it. The Eagles are whoever they're up against, and you saw it against the 49ers last week and the QB um, issue shouldn't be ignored, but I think the Eagles would have pushed them around and that was against a very physical San Francisco team. Philadelphia can just push flat out, push teams around. They've done it all season long. It's not a fluke. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, with the Eagles there. And for a fun MVP prop, I talk about a fun one. Obviously, the two QBs have the shortest odds. And then you can do what you want with Travis Kelsey. Maybe he'll have an all-time uh, game in terms of receptions and then he'll it, it will require he gets the game MVP if the Chiefs win but I like even in the 21st century that there's value in those defenders obviously you're rolling the dice a little bit but defenders if they have a special play or three or if they generate turnovers a couple we've seen that a number of times I mean Malcolm Smith the immortal Malcolm Smith proves that point um, so I think based on the performance of Hassan Reddick and my pick of the Eagles, I think that's a good play. I could see Hargrave being disruptive there as they try to focus attention on what's on the outside there. I like one of those Eagles defenders. And and like I say, the first defender on the board is Hassan Reddick at plus 4,000. Or if you like the Chiefs, Chris, uh, Chris uh, Jones at plus 5,000 is a fun play as well. Although I just, back to my original point, I don't see the Chiefs pass rush giving Jalen Hurts a ton of trouble because of that uh, that offensive line in front of him. All right, love it. A good look on the side as well as some fun in the MVP betting market. Dave, to your point earlier about not just wanting to survive, but to live. I also want to weave in the hops here to close things out beyond the game itself in order to help to optimize your enjoyment of the Super Bowl viewing experience 
anything on your mind for a go-to drink or food or anything else to spice up that super Sunday game viewing experience? Well, just like I defer to you on gambling matters when things get serious, same goes for, for booze or beer at least. And you did when we sat together, you, you presented an array of delicious flavors for me that I'd never experienced. And so I appreciate that. You know, I'm a, I'm an old goon. I stay with what I know. And I discovered a couple of years ago and I told you about it. Speedway stout is the best stout going. It, it, it's uh, available in, well, I, I, track it down wherever wherever you can find it i don't know what stores people are, are in various regions but if you like a stout that's a good one it's not that nitro i don't like that silky nitro in the u.s kind of stout that's not for me this is not that it, it's very wintry to me and um a local brewery that i'm pretty sure is national at this point golden road they have this ride on uh, hazy IPA that uh, that I find delicious. And so I'll probably go with a one-two punch there over the course of Super Sunday. Love it. And with an IPA and a stout, uh, it might be a one-two punch and not too much beyond that because those are both pretty potent when we're talking ABV, especially with Speedway. I know that Ale Smith, the brewery that makes that down in San Diego, uh, is just a, an OG uh, on the Mount Rushmore of stouts, I would say. So you can't go oh, wrong really? with that. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. I got it right. Um, and, and of course it's super Sunday and like I do, I'm such a weirdo. I like to make charcuteries at home and my kids enjoy them so much that for my last birthday, they had a scavenger hunt around the house here. And like every place I went, it led me to another one and every destination, um, yielded cheese or meat. And, uh, so that was a thrill. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll put together a delicious, uh, super Sunday charcuterie board along with those beers. Well, if you're into any pairings, the hazy IPA with any meat would probably go well together. When you mention anything on the cheese side, if I recall correctly, sour beer is not something that you gravitate toward. Wow, uh, so, good memory. No, I don't like that. I don't know why. It's just it just ain't for yeah, me. I get it, it can be polarizing. A lot of people love it. I'm in in that camp for a sour done well, but for some people, it's just a style that they can't handle. I totally get it. But if anybody else will have charcuterie plates going. A lot of good barrel aged sours in the the Belgian style. Uh, they're you know surprisingly accessible at a, a lot of bottle shops, at least in the LA area. Um, and I think for a lot of major cities, if you're anywhere near one, a barrel aged sour will often be. I don't know the the terminology is so tough to pin down. People will say it's a little bit funky, or there there's something that's almost wine like, where how wine and cheese go together. A, mm -hmm. a good barrel aged sour with some charcuterie is a good direction to go as well. But it sounds like you're in a good spot with a Speedway I like, Stout you know, in one hand and a Hazy IPA in the other. Well, I probably won't have them simultaneously. Although maybe I'll try that. I've never <laughs> really done that. I could do that. But sequentially um, is probably the, the better way to do it for sure. I do. If I ever was going to do the sour um, ones, that would be the right spiritual choice. Because by the time that game ends on Sunday night, that's the furthest we're going to be away from football all season long, all year long. So maybe being sour is the appropriate tone setter, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the season, almost being in the books here, Dave, final question for you. What's one thing you are most anticipating with the change of pace in our lives that comes with the NFL offseason? Ooh, uh, well, like I mentioned, I will jump very quickly um, into, uh, don't tell me if you know, because I'm DVRing it as we speak the Pitt Panthers are playing. They're tracking towards March Madness. So this is going to be for the first time in a half a decade, potentially 
a uh, an interesting um, March Madness for me. The Hoosiers as well are, are going to make the tournament. So that should be fun. And I keep my eye on the puck and um, the Wales in a Eastern Conference is real juicy stuff there. Some real heavyweights there. So I won't get that big a break, but I'll miss the rhythm of the football season that, that you know, that's why it's that, that it's a 365 endeavor. We, I think we delude ourselves into thinking that, uh, oh, football season's over. Like, I, I, what I can't stand is talk about living versus surviving. I can't stand our colleagues who complain in season, like, oh, the grind. You're talking about football, man. It, 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 you, you ain't picking up heavy stuff. So stop that crap. Um, but, uh, I, it's a 365 league anyway. I mean, as soon as the season ends, in fact, we've reached a place now where big name QBs are retiring or considering new destinations as we speak right now. And that's getting more heat than the Super Bowl matchup is. So the idea that, that, well, football season's almost over, I guess it's really not what we're not going to have are the games. And that's really the, the thing that distinguishes it from all the other sports is that special Sunday or in fact, if you love college football too, especially on the West Coast, waking up at 9 a.m. football to start the weekend all the way till it's bedtime on Sunday night. Nothing better than that. So I'll miss that. Speaking of everything swirling around the NFL beyond the Super Bowl itself, got to thank you for not bringing up my chargers and the fact that a Super Bowl winning head coach who was on the table has accepted a job with a division rival. So there's always that as well. If you want that to happen, you would have been happy if they would have punted uh, Staley for Peyton. I feel like whenever there's a coach on the hot seat, it's not just a matter of, oh, I like this guy or I hate this guy. Let's get rid of him. It's always, okay, well, if we get rid of him, what's the alternative? Right. And and I just feel like when is the alternative a coach of Sean Payton's caliber at their stage as a franchise with Justin Herbert's development and the governor that Joe Lombardi was on Herbert? I know there's a lot more to it than that. I'm saying this from my house and, and the comfort of home in L.A., but yeah, if they made a good run at Payton, I would have been thrilled. I just feel like this Banos family was never going to put forth the money to pay a coach like that when they're paying Staley, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to what Peyton got in Denver. Right. Exactly. I do think that that would have been a good fit for a number of reasons, including Telesco does as good a job, which is hitting, you know, near or at 60% in the draft. And so if you, you can offset the loss of the first round pick that you'd have to give up to get Sean Payton, you know? And so, um, yeah, it would have been interesting, you know, I, uh, you know, as we say, I'm a Steelers fan, so I'm about stability you know, to the chagrin of many Steelers fans. Like, Dave, why don't they fire Tomlin, dude? All he does, he, he make you know, he gets like 500 or a little bit better than that. That ain't the standard anymore. I'm like, man, you should be a Chargers fan or a Vikings fan or a Browns fan or a Jets fan if you want to know real misery. Going over 500 as we transition from Roethlisberger to Kenny Pickett is not, should not feel like uh, a borderline tragedy in your life. That was perfectly fine to make the playoffs last year with nine wins. Almost get in this year with nine wins, thanks in part to their Chargers and overtime at the Raiders. That was a year ago. And now I think the future is bright. So I, I, I'm over the moon for the next four years where we got the we got our QB. And now for four years, it's about drafting right, building around him. So so I'm, I'm anxious for what uh, what my what, what my guys are going to do. But to be honest with you, I like the stability with the Chargers. That defense is so loaded up. If they can just get it right with Kellen Moore, which – is not a given, but if they can, I really think that's a team that's going to be, you know, dangerous. 
but they charge her again down in Duval County. So I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry, is what I can tell you. I'm sorry. That's okay. I've got one more quick comment here before this becomes the charger hour. And that would be, I, I appreciate the note on stability and I try to keep my takes, you know, informed enough, but also humble enough. If I knew that Kellen Moore could have become the offensive coordinator, then I might not have been as upset when they initially didn't pursue Staley. I'm guessing that while Kellen Moore was still employed by the Cowboys, maybe the Chargers knew that there was a chance he would become available. That wasn't public information. So we can expect the offense to take a big step up. Staley's defensive game plans, especially later this season, really seem to ratchet up. So yeah, all hope is not lost. And and to your point, um, it could always be worse. A Chargers fan can look at the life of, you know, 20 other teams in the league. A Steelers fan can probably look at 25 other teams. And uh, yeah, maybe it could always be better, but it could also be a lot worse. So got to try to keep an even keel in the big picture and just hope that, you know, one day as a Charger fan, uh, they might get a fraction of as many Super Bowl championships as you've seen the Steelers raise over the years. That's right. Well, listen, the way the way it's structured now, not and I don't necessarily love well, I know I definitely uh, dislike parody, but what it yields is to some degree, I think the QB league and the high end QBs offset this. I thought I remember talking 20 years ago about what I thought was going to end up happening with the free agency era and otherwise is your number was just going to come up. Eventually every team's going to win and it'll just be this team this year and that random team the next year and another random team the year after that. But the QBs are the good ones um, elevate their teams consistently enough that that hasn't exactly happened. You have one of the QBs, so you should be in good shape for the next decade. And I think that the audience is in good shape for not just betting on, but enjoying Super Sunday. Dave, thanks to your insight. want to really thank you for coming on to have this conversation. To those who are not already doing so, I'd encourage you to wake up and follow Dave on Twitter at Damashek. You can also catch his work on podcasts across the Extra Points Network. Dave, anything else you'd like to plug in terms of where people can find all the good work you're doing? I, you know what? I'll plug away. I do a podcast also with Ryan Shazier called Don't Call It a Comeback. Guess what the show's about? Comebacks. And uh, so we talk about uh, all nature of comebacks. And uh, it's a great time with a great guy, Ryan Shazier, if you're interested in uh, a, a vibe like that. But otherwise, extra points, minus three. Good times with good people talking about uh, about football and beyond as we move into basketball hockey season. Love it. Well, Dave, thanks again for taking time for the conversation. To the audience, thank you for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow with Hitman. I will see you then for our first look at Super Bowl 57 props. props, and ups and props.